Before this episode of the Funnel Word Podcast, a quick thank you to the Funnel Word sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing. Do me a favor. Before this episode begins, before the fabulous Final Word theme, thanks to Earthboy, head to Sidewinder Life on Instagram. That's Sidewinder Life. It's the latest from Brick Lane Brewing. Sidewinder Hazy Pale Ale. Super tasty in Brick Lane's first low-alcohol beer. Get this, the IWSR. What is the IWSR, you ask? Well, I didn't know either, so I googled them. They provide stats for the drinks market. They're the beverage industry scorekeeper. Anyway, their research found that 65% of Australians, 65% of legal drinking age Australians, are looking for a low or no alcohol option in 2021. Find it at Dan Murphy's in Australia. Tell them the final word sent you. The folks at Dan Murphy's won't really know what that means, unless, of course, they listen to this podcast, but Brick Lane will, and that's all that matters. Also, keep your eyes open for new Brick Lane Final Word artwork. The team at Brick Lane has taken the classic Final Word image and given it a Brick Lane makeover. You're going to love it. Remember, you can find everything Final Word related at FinalWordCricket.com. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the final word, and thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself, and there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word, story time, with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins, coming to you in the middle of a test match. There's a lot going on, so we're, we're going to get in and get out as quick as we can today, although we've got a bunch of good numbers and good stories to do. We do, yes. It's, it's always tricky uh, doing a story time app, just purely on the basis that test cricket tends to be towards the end of the week, and that's when we record this show, and, and here mm-hmm. we are. Uh, in my case, uh, it's about to be the third day of the test match between... England and India, which I'm broadcasting on, and of course we're doing the, the daily shows as well. But yeah, looking forward to telling a few tales, and uh, there's some nice stuff here. Looking forward to it. Let's get right into it. The fastest start we are ever going to have on this show, <laughs> our Olympics-inspired beginning, as we play the game called Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge. I was allowed to do that because it wasn't too late at I was going to say, what, what do you uh, think of that? Will they be, will they be <laughs> slightly weirded out by what's going on? Uh, maybe. I mean, but, you know, people don't tend to ask too many questions about what's going on in, in, in other people's um, private time, I suppose. <laughs> uh, it, it could be any, any number of things. So, Nerd Pledge is a game. It's a reverse quiz. It's played by the people on the patron page. Uh, this is lovely. They help us make the show by contributing, by sending in an amount of currency. But that amount of currency is not a normal amount. It's a very specific amount because... The number relates to cricket in some way, and we have to work out what that number means. For instance, Adam Jones has sent through £6.58. Now, Adam has also sent through a clue, which you don't have to do, but he has done in this case, saying the number is definitely that way around, i.e. 658. If there is one glaring underrepresentation on the show, it's definitely old spinners. <laughs> this old spinner has three famous moments in his career, two of which are batting, and none of them refers to the 658. Thank you, Adam. That's very helpful. Two of the famous moments were in first-class cricket and one was in a one-day match. So, And, and the thing with, with Adam Jones is he finished this clue in all caps saying, who can it be? And so the first thing that I thought was, who can it be now? <laughs> which meant that I thought, is this related to men at work in some way? Which meant that I spent a long time looking up 
every musician who has ever been a part of Men at Work because I thought maybe there's something linking one of them with a name or something. What I did find is that online there's an amazing graph that shows you every member of Men at Work represented by a colourful line over a time scale to show you when they were in the band and when they were out of it and what instruments they played <laughs> while they were in there. Someone has spent a lot of time on this and I really appreciate it even though it had nothing to do with the eventual answer. It's, it's a fixture of a lot of a lot of bands who have been around for a long time. They do that representation mm. on Wikipedia. I remember looking through it with the Buzzcocks a couple of years ago and being kind of staggered by how many people have been <laughs> in and out of the band. And like Those who are in it for a bit, leave for a stretch, come back for a second or third go. So, yes, I think the same with The Fall, if I you recall correctly, with uh, the way they came together and sort of the consistent members of the band mm. and, and those who were in for a stretch. And so I was looking at various things for Adam with the 658 and old spinners and I was thinking an old spinner related to a six is, is that Robin Marler story about being out second ball stumped for six when he was sent in as a night watchman, coming back into the dressing room and saying, I told you I wasn't a night watchman, <laughs> um, which was particularly good. I thought... I mean, a spinner who's a bit older now is Stuart McGill, who had some famous moments with the bat, but he has probably three famous moments with the bat because he he won a Shield final with the bat. He won a domestic one-day final with the bat and he had that crazy 200-run partnership with with Dom Thornley. So it's it's probably not going to be him. And so, yeah, I left this one to you in the end because I couldn't get anywhere. Yeah, well, when I first saw it, I thought an old spinner who's known for one thing, and I thought John Embry, but I thought, no, no, we'll move on from that. It won't, it won't be John Embry being known for one. It's known for something to do with the bat. So, look, where we got, where we got to in the end is, is uh, well, a contemporary of, of Embry's in, in some respects, Eddie Hemmings, who a lot of Australian listeners would remember from Ashes Tours and all the rest of it. Look, he was an old spinner, given that he was 33 years of age on debut and, and, uh, and 42 uh, when he played his final test match. So there's still hope for us, Jeff. We can still get there. Um, <laughs> uh, well, and, and I suppose in, in Eddie's case, even at 42, he was young compared to some of the guys we've looked at in recent months. Mm. Plenty of gaps in between, though. He, was, he only played 16 test matches across that nine-year stretch. So he was one of these guys who was, who was in and out of the team, which wasn't unusual for England spinners through that stretch of, of the 80s and, and into the 90s. Uh, so... The three things that he's famous for and two of them batting uh, aspect of the clue. Well, he made a first-class ton and averaged 18 across 518 matches, to give some context Mm. here. But he nearly got a century uh, in a test match. So the fifth test of the 83 Ashes in Sydney, England, uh, sort of way behind. He comes in at first drop. Uh, as the night watchman at the end of day four. Uh, but then he batted for nearly four hours uh, to make 95, and England hung on. They were seven down when the bowls were knocked off, and they were able to draw that game in, in no small part mm. due to the brave and gallant batting of Eddie Hemmings. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it was Sydney. described as gritty. I bet gritty yes. came out. Yes, well, if you bat for four <laughs> hours and, and make 95 in as the night watcher, you've, you've probably been gritty at different points. Mm. Then in one-day cricket, well, he was quite significant in England's 1987 World Cup campaign with the ball, but not so much with the bat. Let's jump forward a couple of years from that, though, to 1989 and the domestic final. It's sort of around that time when, if you had a good domestic final, you'd almost certainly find yourself on a winter tour, um, as mm. Hemmings did. But let's go to what he did with the bat. Essex, the juggernaut, knots the underdog, and the great John Lever has the ball in his hand. Three to win. 
and, and there's Eddie Hemmings uh, out there with bat in hand, uh, but he has a groin strain. He can't run. Has to hit a four. Mm. There's no way they're getting back for a three uh, from the last ball. Uh, Graham Gooch well, is prob- the captain. Probably even a two from, from the last well, ball. Exactly. You're not, even, yeah, you're not even going to tie it if you, you, know, if you knock yeah. it out to the outfield. You, it's four or nothing. And Graham Gooch by that stage is, is the captain of Essex and, and takes an age changing the field. Uh, you know, you can imagine how this would have played out. Like, overthinking mm. it really. And then it turns out that, that John Lever bowling the last ball goes block hole but Hemmings had predicted this and backed away and gave himself just enough room in I guess the modern style really to flay him through extra cover to the rope a famous victory from the final ball uh, of that competition and uh, and the Knots fans went wild so that's two of the three okay. that he's famous for both with the bat what about with the ball though well he's one of very few cricketers in first class cricket to have nabbed all 10 in an innings but it was kind of like huh. It was, it was kind of like one of these games that, Jeff, you know, we often talk about the smokers and the non-smokers and other games that look a fraction odd. Well, the, the Air Florida Cricket Festival, which was sponsored by Shell <laughs> in 1982, doesn't feel like the kind of competition that, that should have first-class status, but alas, it did. Um, and, and there's an international 11 and, and there's a West Indies 11. And the windy right. side includes, you know, Greenwich, Haynes, Rowe, Lloyd, Dujon, Marshall, Holding, Roberts, Clark. There was obviously a fair bit of money going That's a this. fucking like, good team. It's the, it's the test team. It's essentially that's, the test team. That's not a smokers, non-smokers team. Like, that's a, that's a proper thing. Why are they playing the Air Florida Cricket Festival? <laughs> Especially in 82. I suppose 82 is just before they catch fire and win everything for about five years. But hmm. Eddie Hemmings in this game took all of them. 10 for 175, the most expensive 10 for. Um, <laughs> and, and statistically freakish in a number of categories, not least the fact that he bowled 49.3 overs uh, mm-hmm. out of the 113.3, which means at the other end, 64 overs were sent down without taking a wicket. Uh, so that, oh. that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the third sort of standout that, point of his that's career. That's fascinating. Like, like, just, but just about anyone who takes a 10 for, it means that they've gone on an absolute tear and they end up taking 10 for 40 or something because they've just ripped out the middle. This is like a guy who's just bowled all day and somehow no one at the other end has picked up a wicket. He's exactly. Exactly. It's kind, of, it's kind of like reward for, for effort yeah. more than sort of freakish ability. I mean, it, it's, it's a lot I'd of... Be, I'd be fascinated I mean, to know how. Like, were they all caught at deep mid-wicket or was, you know, was he, you know, yeah. did he have a short leg in? Like, what? Because well, I mean, it sounds like they went after him. Well, think of it in these terms. 49.3 overs is the equivalent of a one-day international, nearly three balls short of that. Yeah. 10 for 175. I mean, you know... That's when you think it, when you apply that to first class cricket, you know what, what whatever that is three, mm. nearly you know, three and a half and over whatever it is nearly four and over. That's a pretty sort of decent clip in red ball cricket. Mm. So it's not as though he's been outrageously successful through the day. It's just that on mm. on ten different instances he, he's managed to <laughs> to get a wicket. So yeah, an unusual ten for to say the least. But. In addition to the the three famous moments, what does the six five eight mean? So in that order said Adam in his clue, indicating that it's likely to be bowling figures and emphasising that the wickets come first, as they did uh, when Eddie Hemmings took his best bowling in Test cricket, 6 for 58 at Edgbaston in 1990 against New Zealand. There you go. That is glorious. If, if you have fucking nailed that. There is no way that's not right because every fu- there there are four parts to that and every one of them fits perfectly. Um, I love it. It's old spinners. Thank you, Adam Jones, uh, for kicking us off with the 658. Next on the show is a double header. That is when two people have the same number, but often they have the same number for different reasons. So this is all about the multiplicity of the universe, the way 
things can go in a million different unexpected ways. Rory Dennis and Paul Cherry, the man whose idea it was to put stones in fruit, have both come in with a nerd pledge of $9, 9.00. Now, it's not a Julio pledge. It's definitely a nerd pledge. It definitely means something. Nine is the number. And Paul has got a clue. He does. Now, Paul has said to us, uh, to steer us, that his nerd pledge goes back to 1884, the days when Aussie cricketers were paid real money for their tours to England. Good to see the egalitarian Aussies took a different approach to the English and their gentlemen players divide, which was not as their definitions would imply. Well, this is very interesting that this came up this week, uh, Paul, because the Australian tour to England in 1884, it was the fourth tour and uh, we know that Test Cricket started in 1877. So they got moving. They had a lot of tours in those early years. And it was interesting when England were talking about not coming for the ashes over the last couple of weeks that people have cited the boat trip. They said, remember in the old days, they used to do six months on the ship. That was real hardship. They knew what sacrifice was. Uh, Why did they do it so often? Money. (laughs) Money. (laughs) Because they got paid a lot of money. Uh, Test cricket did not exist as a concept. There was, you know, the the test status stuff is retrospective for all of these games. So nobody's going out in local cricket on a Saturday striving to make a score so they can represent the Australian team. Australia as a country did not exist at that point. It was still a, you know, loosely sort of grouped bunch of of, uh, colonies that would later be federated. So you're telling me there was no elite pathway pyramid? telling me that they did it for cash. Bugs <laughs> Bunny. How many sheets am I getting? <laughs> they did it for cold, hard cash. Because if a group of players called the Australians rocked up to play a match against some of the best cricketers in England, look, there wasn't much to do in 1884. It was like, get cholera or watch the cricket. <laughs> so, you know, that was good, clean entertainment and people would pay to get in the gate. And the gate was what the Australians were interested in. So uh, they struck a deal, this Australian squad. They were fully professional. There were 13 players in the squad. They were all investors in the squad. They put money in to be able to go on the tour because there was no cricket board. There was no state board backing them or whatever it was. They were funding it and they made a deal with Lord Harris, which was that they would get half the gate for the outground at any match, which means not the main pavilion, but everybody else. And they would get the whole gate for a match against the England, all England 11 at Lords. And they played anybody who would play them, right? So they played every county. They played Oxford. They played Cambridge. They played the gentlemen of England, the players of England, a North team, a South team. They played fucking Huddersfield, which as far as I'm aware is just a bad football team, but apparently it was a cricket team at the time. They played Lord Sheffield 11 and they played the MCC three times, which are the matches that became test matches retrospectively. And so they got the whole gate for the Lord's test and uh, half the outground for all of these other matches. And the English press had a go at them for taking the whole gate for the Lord's test, saying they were mercenaries. And the Australian press got very defensive and you wouldn't imagine anything like that happening now, would you? Some sort of war of words between the media from the two countries. Um, (laughs) But at the end of it all, what these 13 players took home was estimated to be 900 pounds or 900 as per the nerd pledge that Paul Cherry put in, which roughly today would be worth something like 120,000 quid or 
220000 Australian dollars for the tour. That's why they spent six months on the boat, is they got paid a quarter of a million bucks for doing it. <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a very strong price signal, shall we say. Quarter of a million large, whatever it is, quarter of a million dollars. To- <laughs> for playing Leicestershire and Huddersfield. I mean... <laughs> That's a good racket. What is it? Yeah. It's it's, uh, it's not a rort if you read on it. That's mm-hmm. what it sounds like to me. But Spot that, on. And, and that's why there were so many brawls in the sort of 20 years or so after that about who got to control the money, who got to control the gate takings, and, and the players wanted to run it themselves and make the cash themselves, and others were trying to form boards and get in the way. So, you know, that's uh, that's why Clem Hill, partly why Clem Hill punched Peter McAllister and tried to throw him out a window at the selection meeting, because Clem Hill wanted the cash, and Peter McAllister wasn't in the test team and wanted to control the cash. Good times. All right, so for the second nine double zero, uh, we have an even $9 from Rory. Um, it's a dusty old bastard who was involved in a lot of firsts. That's the clue, and that's right in my, right in my swinging arc, Jeff, and mm-hmm. we're kind of back to where we were before, really, aren't we? Because if we're looking at cap numbers, which is what I thought we should start with anyway, England cap nine was the sort of esteemed left-arm spinner, uh, Alfred Shaw. Um, I don't think it's going to be him, though. He's not dusty enough. He was no. kind of a, an all-round left-arm bowler at the mm. time. I think he bowled a bit of seam up, a bit of left-arm orthodox. But but he's a bit of a he's, legend. He's not He's not really Yeah, dusty. that's right. He, you can't call a guy who, who, who has the, the stature that Alfred Shaw has in the game a dusty old bastard. You can, though, Tom Kendall. His opposing Uh number in that first test match at the MCG in 1877. So the Australian number nine in that game, thus cap number nine. Mm -hmm. Um, So he he got them the first test. He'd be alphabetically nine, wouldn't he? He'd be... um Tom, Tom oh, Kendall, yeah, that's you? right. I, when, when I looked at this, I was thinking nine by virtue of where he came into bat. But you're right, it'll be based yeah. on the alphabet, as we learnt via Michael Slater and mm. Brendan Julian when Michael Slater assumed that he had a higher number than BJ and tattooed himself accordingly to find yes. out later that it's based on surname, not on batting position. But, you mm. know, Orcs. that's the way it goes. Uh, yeah, a bit awkward. They did formally change that, by the way. Slater yep. is formally the number above Julian because of what happened in yeah. the whole saga <laughs> back in 1993. Idiot tax. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. They they, they, they they gave them they gave them that little latitude there. But no, so the Tom Kendall, let's return to him. He, so he played in the first test instrumental to the win, but he did a few things. He did a few things. First of all, he was the first bowler to dismiss an opposing captain. James Lillywhite leading the English. Well, he got him in the first innings. He wasn't the first captain to fall Lillywhite. That was Dave Gregory, but Gregory was run out. So in terms of the first bowler to get a captain out, uh, uh-huh. that's our man, the left-arm tweaker, Tom Kendall. Like he that. was the first bowler to take more than a fifer in a test. So after two other players took five in that match, he mm. took seven for 55 to finish it off. So thus, he's the first player to take more than five. Uh, he was involved in the first stumping, who was... The other number nine, Alfred Shaw. He was the first oh. man stumped in Test cricket, and it was <laughs> uh, it was uh, Kendall Bowling at the time. He was one of the one of the players who played this Test before turning out in any game of first class cricket, uh, which is another one of these uh, things that jumps out when you look at his record. And he's the first bowler to have an outright hold on the World Championship belt that we've talked about before in terms of who has the most Test wickets. Well, he and Shaw again, kindred spirits, uh, both took eight in the first Test, but Kendall took six in the second 
weekend they played in in the series. So he had mm-hmm. 14 after two, which had him uh, top of the pops on, on that measure. So, <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't picked to go to England in 1788. And, yeah, sort of two years after these couple of test matches, he played one game for Victoria. And then he moves to Tasmania for a job working as a typesetter at the Mercury, which really dates him there. Five <laughs> years after that, uh, he went with a touring Tasmanian team for four games in New Zealand. And then five years after that, he played for Tasmania against Victoria back at the MCG. And that's where he started, of course, in that, hmm. in that debut test match uh, in 1877. So all up, eight first-class games, of which two were test matches. And that must be a record. That just, <laughs> there can't be anyone else that's played test cricket, maybe in that era, but certainly not in modern times. He's only hmm. played eight games of first-class cricket and a quarter of them uh, yeah. test matches. 25% of your career is test matches. And you, you have not only had he not played a first-class game before that test, but it takes him like three more years to play his first non-test first-class match, if you will. Yeah, I suppose there's a tweak on that. Virat Kohli hasn't played a first-class game that wasn't for India or India A for a decade. So Virat mm. Kohli, retrospectively, or well, later in his career, is doing a version of that, but I suppose that right. a number of them would have been for India A and, and not actually test matches or the Indian 11 when they're on tour. So, yep. and, and then, yeah, he lives in Hobart, Kendall, until uh, 1924 when he passes away. Four adult kids, just before his 73rd birthday, yeah, he passed away. He had 43 years working at the Mercury. He was described as a man of genial temperament, and always ready to take the punishment of his bowling smilingly, which I think is a, a nice way to sum up our dusty old bastard Tom Kendall. Beautiful stuff, Tom Kendall. And the sorting hat, the sorting beer hat, has spoken and said that via Tom Kendall, Rory Dennis gets to give away a slab of Brick Lane beer. Uh, we've been talking about the someday sours. <laughs> Let me tell you this. The someday <laughs> shines with bright and zingy acidity, balanced with soft and pillowy pale and wheat malts. The blood orange bursts onto the centre stage, delivering layers of flavour and refreshment. I've said it before, when you finish doing this, you should really go into the voiceover <laughs> industry. Both you and our, uh, not only um, you and Jay Mueller, who runs Bad Producer Productions, mm-hmm. does a lot of voiceover work. You two are born for this. You should go to bricklamebrewing.com, by the way, and follow all of the, the social media uh, accounts that they have, which are all mm-hmm. listed uh, in our show notes to get a piece of what they're doing. Uh, we should note, by the way, that the slabs of beer can only go to Australia, but anyone who signs up on Patreon has a pretty good chance of being in a position where they can gift a slab somewhere, be it if they're not living in Australia, they can send it to someone who is, and if they are living in Australia, they can have that voucher um, ultimately come to them and, and cash in. So mm. we're proud to be in association uh, with the good team at Brick Lane. This is uh, a lot of fun. All right. Yes, you, you can give it to yourself. It can be a present to yourself. It can be a present to someone else. Next number is Harley Holcomb. It is $3.42. And I thought for this, we recently talked about Justin Langer making his top score in first-class cricket, which was 342 for Somerset in the middle of 2007, just after he'd retired from Test cricket. So I won't go back to that innings, uh, although it could be it. But I wondered, Adam, if I said if I said someone had made three hundred and forty two runs in a test series, you know, you wouldn't be blown away by that, right? You sort of you'd say, no, you know, it's that's, that's solid. A, that's a good solid effort. Yeah, solid series. What if that series was only two test matches long? Yeah. Now we're talking. Now we're and talking. What if, who did this? What if, what if that series was Sri Lanka's first and only test series win in England? Because they, they won the one-off test in 98, yep. but they yep. never won a test series per se. One thing cannot be a series mathematically. So 
2014, the name Kumar Sangakkara might ring a bell. He's doing some decent work on commentary this week. Playing a very good England team at the time. This was back when Stuart Broad could still bat, when Liam Plunkett was in the side with Chris Jordan, Matt Pryor, like pretty good lower order as far as batting goes. And then Alistair Cook, Ian Bell, Joe Roots there, Moeen still making runs. Um, so, you know, this is an England side that can bat. And they rack up 575 declared. And Sri Lanka's in some trouble. And then Kumar comes in. He makes 147. Angelo Matthews makes 102. Bats through with the tail. Gets them past 450. England bang on a couple of hundred more and set close to 400. And then Kumar Sangakkara top scores again with 61. Uh, again, Matthews is the second last out. And the last pair hang on. They're nine wickets down and they hang on to draw. Yeah, I was there. I, I, I bought one of the 20 quid tickets on day five. Mm-hmm. I wasn't living in the UK at the time. I was, I was over for, I don't really know why I was over in the UK, probably to play cricket. It was mm-hmm. just after I'd left politics. Yeah, it would have been 2014 and I'd, um, I'd, I was working in a different job briefly and thought I'll take some leave and muck mm-hmm. around and play some cricket for a bit and, and rocked up at Lord's uh, with one of, the, yeah, one of the 20 quid tickets they sell on the gate for day five when, when a test goes the full distance and watched that thrilling finish, which, uh, yeah, they, they hung on. I think the, the penultimate wicket fell with three balls to go or something like that with Matthews and... Maybe a bit it, more than that because the last... The 10 and the 11 both faced five or six deliveries, I think. So oh, right, okay. Must, in my mind, I thought, I, had, I thought the 11 had like a couple of balls to face. Maybe mm. it was a couple of overs to face. I, I, I may have had a couple of beers on the way through. I can't recall, but that, that mm. sort of stands to reason if I was on holiday. So, um, yeah. yeah, they got the job done. They got the job done and then it inverted in the other test because in the second test, Sangakara top scores again, uh, 79 out of 257. England still get a lead over 100. Sangakara makes another 55, Matthews makes another tonne and they get 350 in front, they set a target and they're trying to bowl England out and they get all the way down to the last pair and James Anderson's out there, faces 55 balls without scoring and in the very last over of the day, he gets out. He's trying to do the same thing as Sri Lanka did and he couldn't quite get there. That's and right. They win 1-0. It's a series win that wouldn't have happened without Kumar Sangakkara. He made 147, 61, 79 and 55 in four hits. 342 are the best and a historic win. All right, Jeff. Next up, 497, Colin Burton. Now, the clue. Cricket is all about fruit. Now, Jeff, yes, fruit, peaches, mm. cherries, mm-hmm. you know, I sort of see, I, I kind of feel that might be where he's going. But but equally, speaking of, you know, fruit is what our old mate Jim Maxwell calls poor bowling, you know, buffet mm-hmm. bowling. There's some buffet mm-hmm. bowling out there at the moment. You help yourself stuff. Or he might go, oh, that's just fruit. That's he fruit. Bowling. He, was, he was bowling absolute fruit. Bowling absolute fruit. Uh, so I thought maybe we'll, we'll go there for a minute, okay. shall we? So. Like when it. did when was there a game where fruit was bowled and 497 runs were scored? Well, that would be a T20 played between Otago and Central Districts in the year 2016. Oh, thank God. Thank God you're taking me there. It's you know, I never know where we'll go sometimes, but you're taking me to a special place. Let's do Well, it. we we talked about Ken Rutherford um, a couple of months ago when he had a big night oh, on yeah. the tiles at the Scarborough Festival and ended up making mm-hmm. a triple ton the next day. Well, his son Hamish <laughs> In this game, made may have done the same. <laughs> 106, he might have made 106 from 50 balls. Otago in 20 overs, 249 for three, if you don't mind, umpire. And then in reply for Central Districts, a bloke by the name of Mahala J. Wardner was playing <laughs> domestic T20s in New Zealand in 2016, the year after when he retired. When was he doing that? When was he? Did, 
when was he doing this? Why was he doing this? He was on yeah. TV commentary in England that year. Why did who? Why? 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 Why would you do this, Mahela? Anyway, he did it, and in response to two four nine, there he is. He goes and bludgeons one sixteen of the best from fifty six balls. Tom Bruce has gone completely mad with sixty one <laughs> from twenty nine. <laughs> Neil Wagner. Tom had Bruce has runs. gone mad. Tom Bruce has gone Bruce mad. Has gone mad. Tom, Tom Bruce has gone completely mad. And then uh, we had one of those Ken Bruce stores in the Endeavour Hills Shopping Centre where I grew up. Yeah, uh, and I bet. It, was a, it was a place my brother and I had a lot of fun running around like idiots when we were kids. Uh, Neil Wagner had eight runs to defend, and he did it. Uh, he took a wicket from the final ball. They won by one run. Central's finishing on oh. 248 for four. Imagine twatting 248 and losing. Anyway, they did. That means the aggregate runs for the day, that was 497 <laughs> of them, just seven wickets, and it still remains oh. the, the highest T20 score in any sort of professional league. I'm not sure if that counts for the, I don't know, the, the road safety retirement league or the sort of mm. or whatever the The, <laughs> the Air Florida uh, T20 competition. <laughs> the Air Florida T20 league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I reckon if there was an Air Florida shell league these days, it'd be rife for match fixing. But anyway, so yeah, <laughs> that's the story then. of the day that Hamish Rutherford and uh, and uh, Mahela Jelly Wardner and Tom Bruce has gone completely mad, uh, made four hundred ninety seven between them. But like, so I, I want to know what led Mahela Jelly Wardner to be playing for Central Districts um, in in T Twenty cricket. Yeah, well, this prompted me to go on a bit of a dive because I knew that Mahela was a little bit of a journeyman when it came to this kind of thing. Who did he play T Twenties for? Well, much like Dirk Nannis, fucking everybody. Um, Adelaide Strikers, <laughs> he played seven games for them, 13 games for the Mighty Central Districts, Oof. 33 times for Delhi Daredevils, twice for the Ducca Dynamites, nine times <laughs> for the Jamaica Talawas, once for the Karachi Kings, mustn't have worked out that well, um, no. 36 times for Kings 11 Punjab, 13 times for Kochi Tuskers Kerala. I don't think they lasted long in the IPL. I think, um, no. isn't Brad Hodge still chasing money from them or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think he is. I, I reckon Mahela played every game they played if he played 13. <laughs> for them. <laughs> twice for the, for the MCC, twice for Sinhalese Sports Club, 10 times for Somerset, 55 times for Sri Lanka, which of course count as list day games, eight times for Sussex, three mm-hmm. times for Trinidad, Tobago, Red Steel, twice for Euthera. Where's Euthera? That <laughs> uh, sounds like a place you get an infection. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, you've changed one letter and it's a place you need to get checked out from, from time to time when you're a younger lad. Uh, 20 times for Wyamba. <laughs> And then Wyumba United as well. He got a game in as well. So all, all told, um, I didn't wow. even count how many there are. Lots. That must have been a real um, sort of controversial moment when he crossed town from Wyumba to Wyumba United. <laughs> I imagine that's a real grudge match situation there. That must have. That was like Ron Barassi leaving Melbourne when <laughs> when Mahela went to Wyumba United. <laughs> <laughs> have been I, remember, I remember when when Barassi left, he got death threats, didn't he? When he when he moved, when he moved to Carlton, <laughs> it's all kind of wrapped up in the end of the, the Norm Smith story at Melbourne. Anyway, uh, so four ninety seven, Colin Burton. Let us know if we're anywhere close to the mark. Mm-hmm. Fruit being the, the sort of bowling that must have been on show that day. And if yep. we're not, we'll revisit it next week. Uh, two six nine, Jeff is our next number from Simon Trafford, where the Test match is being played this week mm-hmm. at Trent Bridge, his home ground. His clue: it, it's a new pledge set which fits perfectly in all our special interests so i I thought there was a certain breadth to this uh, and i messaged simon and said if you're talking about all of our special interests do you have a clue that he's bringing together glenn maxwell old spinners 
automation of the front foot no ball rule, Indian royal family and running out the non-striker. Is this all of these things? And, and, <laughs> and Simon's, Simon said, not all of them, but think about the spinners and think about where I'm from. So spinners who are ancient from Nottinghamshire or who played for Nottinghamshire. Um, Didn't we do two, this like half an hour ago? Yeah, we did. And 269 is the number. And coincidentally, Eddie Hemmings faced 269 balls in test cricket in 1982. There it is. But I don't think it's that. <laughs> um, it's pretty close to uh, to Graham Swan's test wickets, too, which was 255. But we're going to go somewhere else. And this is into a lot of things that we like because Tom Richmond is, is the name of this old spinner. One, dusty old bastard in that he played one test match in 1921. Two... Had a very long first-class career, 20-odd years for knots, taking 1,121 wickets along the way. <laughs> Three, short, fat leg spinner. Like, the best kind. The can't best kind. it. Four, his nickname was Titch. Oh, Titch, Titch Richmond. There was another one. So another while Titch, Titch, another Titch small leg spinner. While Titch Freeman, short, fat leg spinner, was going around at Kent, um, Titch Richmond was going around at Knotts in in the surely, same surely, surely, surely. One's been named after the other, right? Like you in the way that so. you know, you know, you know, you get a footballer who reminds mm. you of another footballer, and you give them mm. that nickname. Mm-hmm. Right, I can right, see yeah. it. Yeah, or the the Alfie Langer, Gary Lyon kind of exactly, exactly. kind of operation. But Titch was short and fat and doing his business for a thousand plus wickets. The Test match that he played, though, the first Ashes Test of nineteen twenty one, the historic series in which Warwick Armstrong's team completely dominates England. He's playing in the team with final word faves Wilfred Rhodes. Percy Holmes and Johnny Won't Hit Today Douglas, um, <laughs> who, who've all had a lot of airtime on this show. And he's up against Warwick Armstrong's Australia, the, the big ship, um, one of Gideon Haig's excellent books, if you're in for a read. And, and, and this is the series where Warwick Armstrong first unleashes the power of a fast bowling opening pair, which it just hadn't been done. You know, everybody was a slow left armour apparently in the 1800s. But Warwick Armstrong has Ted McDonald and he has Jack Gregory and he puts them together and they absolutely scare the shit out of England. They bowl them out for 112 on the first day, 147 in the second innings and dominate them. And I I wrote this piece on the Ashes a few years ago where I I found these bits from Neville Cardis about these two bowlers and this is uh, I I thought I'd drop these in. So Neville Cardis on Ted McDonald, he says, I cannot find language yet to describe the awe-inspiring and mingled speed power and effortlessness of his attack rhythmic tawny aquiline the silent curving run of mcdonald stumps flying like spears it was bowling of havoc but also of rare beauty it was bowling which seemed to become ignited from the burning sun above it's a pretty good rap on your bowling it's a great quote it's a great quote whenever i hear neville Cardis, i think of neville neville on the, on the chopper film <laughs> neville <laughs> Not quite I hear you want to give thing. me some money. <laughs> subs, <laughs> Murph Hughes. Where are, you, where are the subs? <laughs> um, and, and then, and then, Cardis writing about Jack Gregory says it, it describes him as a giant of superb physique who ran some twenty yards to release the ball with a high step at a gallop. Then, at the moment of delivery, a huge leap, a great wave of energy, breaking at the crest and a follow through nearly to the batsman's doorstep. And there's also this line from Bradman where he describes Gregory's bowling as positively violent in its intensity. So this is what England are up against. Uh, I wonder how this. quickly he actually bowled. Hmm. 
yeah. mean, <laughs> one twenty-two. Yeah, I was gonna, you know, like I'm just, I don't want to disparage those that came before us, mm. but we know from, we know from, like, oh, let's use the Olympics again, the way mm. that records tumble and the and, and the percentages in which they do, uh, and and we know we've all seen uh, the way that cricket's progressed in the last thirty or forty years in terms mm-hmm. of speed. With some outliers, maybe he was mm. such an outlier that that it would be um, comparable mm. to modern pace. But it also might have been like yeah, 118, mm. <laughs> 100, yeah, 114 <laughs> clicks. I don't know. You never know. You never know. You never know. But it probably feels a lot faster if you don't have protective equipment on. That's true, um, of course. Well, an uncovered pitch with no protective equipment, of course, yes. Yep. So nonetheless, basically England smashed them up, which means that poor old Titch Richmond only gets to bowl in one innings of the match. He, he did all right. He got out Herbie Collins and he got out Jack Gregory, who Final word five. who also batted six and, you know, made test hundreds, could really bat in also with violent intensity. And in true English fashion, having been absolutely flogged by an innings, they drop a bowler. Um, so that was it for Titch Richmond, who, who would go on to play 11 more years for knots, but uh, left Test cricket with figures in his only innings of two for 69, which was the nerd pledge number of Simon Trafford, 269. And a final little note on that. You may remember we had, a, we had Eddie Hemmings with six for 58 earlier in the episode. On that first day at Trent Bridge, Jack Gregory took six for 58. Ah, oh, Jeff, don't you love it when it all comes together so nicely at mm-hmm. the end of an episode, which is what this will be, actually. It's a truncated mm. version of, of story time uh, this week on the basis that we, uh, well, we, we, ha- we don't quite have the time we normally do, as we mentioned no. off the top, but I'm glad we were able to get in there. Well, a strong theme of dusty old bastards, mm-hmm. old spinners, and a lot of Eddie Hemmings along the way. So much Eddie Hemmings. Yeah, it was like, a, you know, if this were a Pavlova, Eddie Hemmings was the strawberries just distributed liberally across the top. <laughs> We've got a stack of revisits that we'll come back to on next weekend's story time when we'll plough into the new numbers. Once again, if you want to send us a nerd pledge, very easy to do, patron.com slash the final word. You'll help us keep making the show and you might uh, very well win the chance to give away a slab. You've got a, roughly a two in seven or eight chart so that's pretty good um that's that's like the percentage of tom kendall's first class career being test matches those are the sort of odds that you've got um (laughs) this has been the final word story time jeff lemon adam collins uh, we'll be back for the weekly show next week and we're doing the dailies about the india england test series uh, with a 10 15 minute crab every day so we'll see you on the feed have a nice weekend i had to go